This is the Kinfolk Project, a resource for the African American genealogy search. The following podcast is designed to help you with your family history quest, offering solutions to your inquiries, true and tried guidelines to shaping your tree, and answers from experts. The host, Bernie Moody's passion for genealogy started as a child, asking questions of his parents and grandparents. He has been researching earnestly since 1990 and is considered an expert in African-American genealogy by many of his peers. Now, host of the Kinfolk Project podcast, Bernie Moody. As we continue our family history quest, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Kinfolk Project podcast. With us is Tony Carrier, historian, genealogist, founding director of Low Country Africana, and managing the International African American Museum Center for Family History in Charleston, South Carolina. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, and how are you? Doing great, and thank you so much for joining us today. Now, what I saw on one of your sites, it, it, it really spoke to me. It said, and we're talking family history, an African American slant, it said, who are you? Where do you come from? Who are your mm-hmm. ancestors? Man, yeah. that's that's deep. Tell me about that. Well, um, we're really fortunate to to be um, located within the International African American Museum. Um, the museum itself will be built on the site of Gadsden's Wharf. Now, Charleston is the uh, place where more than 40% of enslaved Africans brought to North America actually took their first step. Um, that was in Charleston. And Gadsden's Wharf, um, in the later years of the Atlantic slave trade, was, was the exclusive port of arrival for um, enslaved Africans. And so Gadsden's Wharf was the place where uh, more than 30,000 of the people who were brought to Charleston actually took their first steps. And so it's it's sacred ground. Um, The museum will tell the story of Gadsden's Wharf. It will tell the story of the influential histories of, of Africans and their descendants in South Carolina and of their subsequent radiation throughout um, not only the Americas, but internationally. And um, the Center for Family History goal is to actually personalize the museum visitors' experience. So what we aim to do is actually help the museum visitor discover their personal strand of the history that's being told in the museum via the exhibits and programs. That's amazing. So we want we want to to help the visitor learn where their personal family history fits in to the uh, African American experience in South Carolina and beyond. Okay, so let's talk about that that African who was kidnapped from the, the motherland and brought to Charleston um, and enslaved. Now, we're talking family history research. Where do we start? Mm-hmm. Where do we start there? Well, 
as with any um, genealogy, whether your your focus is African American or not, we always want to start with yourself and work backwards one generation at a time. Um, Gather your family's oral history. Gather together all the documents in your family. Find that shoebox of important family documents and pull them out. Uh, Record everything that you learn from those documents. Record everything that you learn from your family's oral history. And then you can make a research plan and begin your research. Um, there are certain record sets that are that are very valuable for African American genealogy research, and it's um, it's important for researchers to get to know those record sets and use them uh, to their full advantage. Now, one record I like to talk about are the Freedmen Bureau records. Uh, the history of the Freedmen Bureau uh, was formed after, during Reconstruction to help the former slave adjust to this new life. Um, and yeah. There's there so many records there. Like, I'm familiar with the bank records. I think there's some marriage records. Tell me a bit about the Freedmen Bureau mm-hmm. records and how we can use them. The Freedmen's Bureau records are some of the richest records that you can use for African-American genealogy. Um, so many uh, newly freed African American ancestors actually interacted with the Freedmen's Bureau or and or the Freedmen's Bank. The Freedmen's Bank was uh, not a part of the Freedmen's Bureau, but in some ways it was an outgrowth of the services that the Freedmen's Bureau provided. And often the the um, leaders of the Freedmen's Bank and the leaders of the of the Freedmen's Bureau. Uh, we're one in the same people, um, and and those actually harken back to some of the United States military officers who were in the Deep South, um, uh, occupying the Deep South, and uh, looking out for the well-being of, of the newly uh, freed uh, enslaved people. So, but the Freedmen Bureau records are so rich, and I, I, I often advise people, if you want to know where your ancestors were before 1870, learn everything you can about their lives during Reconstruction. Uh, on a personal note, and speaking of the, uh, the Freedmen Bank records, I found my great-great-grandfather, his name was Samuel Drayton, and his application, and on the application, it had his date of birth. It had his mother mm-hmm. and father's name. It had the plantation he grew up on. It had the plantation he was living on at the present time. He named all his his wife. He named uh, his children, and he named his siblings. And that gave me such a track there, you know, such a path to finding even more. You know, one Freedman's Bank record can can take you in so many directions. And the the Freedman's Bank records for South Carolina in particular are are very detailed. And just as you said, you know, people people were asked, um, "Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where do you live now? Uh, what's your occupation? Yes. Who do you work for?" And then. Uh, the agents in filling out the, the Freedmen's Bank um, applications actually asked about relatives both living and deceased. Yes. 
and ask, um, you know, your brothers and sisters, are they living? Where do they live? Um, quite often you see, you'll see a sibling listed who lives elsewhere, like, um, you know, a Grace who lives in Savannah. And so those records can be incredibly detailed. And when you combine those with the records of the Freedmen's Bureau, it's a very rich documentary record for reconstruction um, in the Low Country. Okay, so as we reconstruct our, our, our family, there's also the slave narratives. Correct. Now, give me a little history mm-hmm. of those. Well, the slave narratives... Um, have have some some problems. They're a bit they're a bit flawed for a number of reasons, which uh, have been well documented. Um, but the substance of the slave narratives and and, and what was in them uh, can be very important. And this was the the WPA Writers Project traveled throughout the Old South. Um, the slaveholding South, former slaveholding South, to interview people who had formerly been enslaved and ask them about their experiences during enslavement and after enslavement, um, just asking them about their lives. And so those can be very important um, documents for researchers. Not everyone is going to find their ancestors in the WPA slave narratives, but nonetheless, a, a WPA slave narrative from the area where your ancestor lived can be very informative. It can tell you an awful lot about what was going on at that time in that community in your ancestor's life, whether or not you find a slave narrative for your specific ancestor. This is the Kinfolk Project podcast. We're with Tony Carrier, historian, genealogist. He's the founding director of Low Country Africana and manages the International African American Museum Center for Family History, which is scheduled to open winter of 2021 in Charleston, South Carolina. So as we continue our conversation um, and doing African American genealogy, there's also other bits and pieces. There are marriage records, um, early marriage records, if you will. Mm-hmm. Marriage records, early voting registers. You know, um, one of the first things that uh, became available for people who were newly, newly freed was the opportunity and the right uh, to vote. And so many um, formerly enslaved people, that was one of the first things they did was register to vote. And so in the, in the former slaveholding states, the, the voter registrations begin in 1867, 1868. Well, there you go. You're back past 1870 right there with those records. And here in, in this area, there are a number of records that were made before 1870, um, that can help you fill, tighten up that timeline and fill in the gaps in your ancestors' lives between emancipation in 1865 and the 1870 census that was the first to list formerly enslaved people with first and, and last names. Okay. And we have about three minutes, so I want to talk about uh, the U.S. census records um, that were. Okay. We, we didn't, African Americans weren't really listed until 1870 unless you were a free person of color. 
Um, right. So what do we look for when we look at that brick wall? Let's look at 1870, the first mm-hmm. census we were a part of. What am I looking for? On the 1870 census, um, there have been some problems with the 1870 census, um, which also has been well documented <laughs> online, so I, I, I won't um, go into that. But nonetheless, um, it it will help you locate your ancestors in 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 time and and geography um, for 1870. Um, the 1870 census did not ask how the individual members of a household were related to one another. The 1880 census was the first to do that. But what you'll see listed in the 1870 census is you'll see the name of the head of household and you'll see the names of um, members of their household. Um, we can't make an assumption, for instance, that people of the age to be the child of, of the head of household, you know, were their children, but you may verify that um, on the 1880 census because it asked for each individual person in the household. It asked, what is your relation to the head of the household? Okay. Now, so the 1870 census can help you locate your ancestor. Um, it will list uh, it lists their gender, uh, age, um, and uh, occupation, and some other other columns on the census ask more specific questions. Um, it's it's really something, once you start to dig into census records, and it's important that you do, it's really something to go to, to for instance, Ancestry.com and download blank census forms so that you can actually transcribe off that census record looking at the headings uh, for the questions that were asked on the 1870 census because uh, what we learn when we get more into census research is to look beyond those first three, four columns on the census that tell us uh, who you are, what's your age, um, where were you born, where were your parents born. There are a lot of other questions that the census asks, and if you download those blank census forms for, for uh, from, for instance, Ancestry.com, who has them available for free, um, you can really gain a deeper understanding of the information that was given to the census taker in 1870, 1880, and every census there beyond. Amen. So the census, I use it really as a building block, 1870. As you said, then you can confirm things in 1880 or, you know, um, as you move through the census years, you kind of build a story Mm -hmm. on your family. So as we come to a close, let's go back to the beginning. Family research, start with yourself and what you know. Yes, correct. Start with, record what you know. You'll be surprised um, at how much you already know, and you may be surprised at, for instance, something you don't know, like, why don't I know where my father was born? Um, But uh, family members and friends of the family can can fill in the information that you don't know um, via oral history interviews, but it's really important when you start to record what you know by finding those important family documents. 
Um, there's always someone in the family, for instance, who keeps funeral programs. Yes, obituaries. And funeral yes. programs can be immensely informative because they contain the obituary um, and tell about the person, their early lives. And um, you can find married daughters. You can find wives' maiden names, etc. So finding those important family documents and using them to record what you know is an important step. And then after that, you want to ask every member of your family if they have important family documents for their particular branch, and you want to, rec- you want to um, interview every member of your family who will sit still for it because <laughs> yes. people remember different aspects of your family's history, and even two siblings have two different memories of growing up together. So it helps to interview everyone that you can. I've been blessed, and I'm blessed to this day to have older members. I've got a 94-year-old first cousin, two times removed, who just fills in the blanks and says, no, son, that wasn't it. It happened this way. Now, I'll go back and verify, but she's been such a (laughs) blessing to me, you know, when it comes to oral history and remembering, you know, where we come from, who we are. And let me tell you something. It's a proud history. We need to be proud of our history and tell people about who we are so they don't tell us who we are. No, no, I know who I am. Absolutely. Learn your stories and tell them. Amen. Share the Yes. This has been the Kinfolk Project podcast. We've been talking to Tony Carrier, historian, genealogist. Thank you so much. Tell us once more. Now, when is this, the uh, museum going to open? Tell me about that and any contact information you might have. Sure, sure. Um, we're slated to open in the winter of 2021. Um, our website is live now, and I'll give you the uh, address of the website. You can find us on CFH, like Center for Family History. You can find us on cfh.iaamuseum.org. So that's cfh.iaamuseum.org or simply Google the Center for Family History at the International African American Museum or IAAM Center for Family History. Ms. Carrier, it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for being a part of the project. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Kinfolk Project podcast. Thank you to our life coach, Kim Johnson, and our producer, Brian Cipollin. God bless. This has been the Kinfolk Project podcast with family historian Bernie Moody. If you have questions concerning your family search, you can email Bernie at moodybernie at yahoo.com And you can also follow him on Instagram at The Kinfolk Project and on Twitter, Kinfolk Dude. Thank you, and join us again for the next episode of The Kinfolk Project Podcast.